Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm producer and host Bonnie D. Graham. So happy to be here, and have we got a fascinating topic for you. I'm welcoming back a regular, I, sometimes I think he's on all of our shows, he's on so many times, it's Tom Madonna from SAP, Industry Executive Advisor for Automotive at SAP. Full disclaimer, I am on Zoom, I have the pleasure of seeing my guests, so if we refer to a handshake or a wave or something, a smile, it's because I can see them and you might get to see the video as well. And we're welcoming a newcomer to OESA Automotive Insiders. Her name is Amy Dale. She spells her last name D-A-L-E if you want to find her. And she's a partner in Infosys Consulting's ERP and Platforms. Welcome, Amy. How are you? I am great. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be part of this uh, podcast. Thank you. And you know what? Since Tom's on all the time, people mostly remember him. I'm going to have him do a brief reintroduction, but we want to get to know you first, Amy Dale. So would you please, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? How did you get involved in automotive and what's your excitement? And by the way, I have to say that our topic today is how technology impacts platform manufacturers. Exciting. Amy, introduce yourself, please. Well, thank you, Bonnie. So, hi, I'm Amy Dale, and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I have been working in the technology and manufacturing industry for uh, 35 years. And I found that the building and manufacturing of products, uh, anything from uh, the, the machines, the pa- packaging and chemicals, but what got me into the automotive, I think, is that I've been an enthusiast with the automotive, um, the racetracks, from Coda to the uh, taking an R8 drive through um, the mountains of uh, Italy and Austria and Germany. Um, I've toured the manufacturing site for Aston Martin, and I've toured the manufacturing for Audi. And I love to compare and contrast how the automotive industry is driving process and change that you can leverage across all industries. Amy, that's a big statement. That's a big claim. But I'm so intrigued about all the places you've been and the cars you've driven and the roads you've been on. Do you have a favorite place to be in a car? Well, I like to be in the passenger seat. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> you have, do you have a favorite car you want to tell well, us? We, uh, right now we have our favorite car is a 911 Turbo S Porsche. And it is just a wonderful machine and um but then again, I had to have my own little Porsche, so I got a 992 Carrera S convertible uh, with a Miami blue color, so it's gorgeous. Very. I was going to ask you what your first car is. We'll get to that in a second, but this is very interesting. Tom Madonna, I did a calculation this morning before we started this podcast recording, and I figured there's about 6.25 people in the world who don't remember who you are. I'm so sorry to tell you that. Would you talk to either the six or the point two five seven or whatever it is and just refresh their memory who you are and why are you here? Tom, welcome back. 
Thanks, Bonnie, and, and welcome, listeners. Uh, Tom Madonna, Industry Executive Advisor with SAP. Long title, what does it mean? I basically help companies uh, in automotive uh, get the best business value out of the software. And so when we start talking about uh, how they can use it, how they can uh, uh, gain that uh, advantage, do their uh, KPIs and, and execute, uh, that's part of what I do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We're always happy to have you here. Let's go back to Amy, what I wanted to ask you. Do you remember your first car, color, make, model, year, if you remember that? Any stories you could share that uh, you're allowed to share? So uh, not to date myself, but my first car, uh, my dad spent $250 and bought me a 1967 Buick LeSabre. And uh, it was a big, it was golden, it was beaten up, the back fender flapped in the wind, and uh, I would just continually get Rust-Oleum to uh, repair the paint job. Very nice. My dad drove a Buick Electra 225, which was yacht size. Remember those cars? Yeah. yeah. In midnight blue. And when my parents took a trip to, to, I think it was Japan, they I was home and they let me drive dad's car to high school and pick up a select few of my friends. And what a treat pulling up to Bayside High School in Queens, New York in the midnight blue Electra. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What, what a thrill. Tom Madonna, refresh our memory. What was your first car or one of the first cars you'd like to share? with us briefly so the first car was a uh, ford fairmont but uh was interesting about it was uh in midland uh the uh police officers actually drove for ford fairmont so uh the car was uh, was burnt orange uh, uh based on going to ut um it was a single owner uh, uh lady who uh basically kept it in the garage and didn't put many miles on it so when i bought it i bought it almost new and uh, I basically raced around uh, uh, Midland Odessa uh, multiple times. Uh, at this point in time, it, uh, it, it, it moved. Uh, it was actually had a, uh, a 305 in it and uh, basically kept up with the cops. There you go. I think that Beach Boys wrote a song about the original owner of that car, but I could be mistaken. Let's go to our topics. If you're just tuning in, we're talking today about how technology impacts platform manufacturers. Tom, I'm looking at the statements you sent me before we started. Let me just read the first one. Have you unpack it for a couple minutes and then we'll see what Amy Dale has to say about it. So you say platform makers are having to use technology to produce products and get financial stability. There's so much to unpack here. Tom, we need a level set. Platform makers, talk to us. Who, what, where, why, when? Go. So the platform manufacturers are the new production uh, units that are coming out. So these are EVs, these are AVs. These are all the new cars that you're starting to hear from in regards to the OEMs. When we say a platform manufacturer at this point in time, it's either going to be someone who's going to produce a car for somebody else, uh, like Foxconn, or it's going to be Magna, or it's going to be a new uh, OEM brand. Uh, typically, they don't have uh, releases greater than a million, so they're just kicking off and starting. In most cases, these companies um, are basically greenfields, and you know they might be buying assets like a, a factory or uh, a line or a portion of a line from someone else. But in general, they don't have the legacy brick and mortar, and and so they as they start to go through that process of one uh, establishing the organization, putting a financial statement in place. Uh, and starting to execute, uh, you know, their build and design, they need to have something that's going to help them run their books other than, you know, QuickBooks or a spreadsheet. And in most cases, the VCs are asking them to have an ERP system in place. And so as we start to look at that, we're seeing those platform manufacturers making technology uh, decisions early. 
And, and part of that is giving them a financial stability to go to the market to tell them what the valuation is going to be. As you can see some of that, which happened with Polestar. You can see some of that that, that occurred just you know, recently with Tesla in regards to the market caps. But in general, they have to have something that's going to basically be able to leverage them to get that financial stability. The other thing they have to do is they don't have that technical debt that uh, some of the old brick and mortars have in regards to 30, 40, 50 year old systems. And so they need something that's going to basically be able to put in very quickly. It's replicatable that can run their business, run their MRP, run their production lines and allow them for a streamlined uh, integration platform. And so that's the things we're seeing. And it's interesting that uh, it's almost, uh, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but very close to that in regards to every platform manufacturer is kind of going through those two or three stages uh, prior to actually having that first unit off the line. Thank you, Tom. I already learned a lot. Let's see what Amy Dale has to say. Perspective, POV, agree or disagree? Amy, up to you. Oh, I agree. Let me just pile on that with the technical debt that they're um, – the predecessors have, the new platform producers have the opportunity to adopt the capabilities at a lower cost. So the cloud that you've heard from Microsoft or Azure, the um, these manufacturers can actually start small and then have scalability. And that's what they need is they're trying to get up and running. They don't have to have the perfect end solution, but they need to have enough that they can have the credibility that they can manage their books, that they can manage their supply chain, that they can manage their inventory and materials, and that they're able to then scale as they grow over the years. Thank you very much. Tom, anything you want to say back to Amy before I move to one of her topics? Oh, great, great uh, conclusion. Yep, good. Amy, you have an example embedded into this one. I can't wait to hear what you say. The automotive industry is being disrupted. Every industry is being disrupted. I think we did a show recently, Tom, with either you or Bill Newman about disrupting disruption. It's time, right? Okay. The automotive industry is being disrupted by embedding software into the product. For the automotive industry, guess what? It's going to require new pricing models, tracking capabilities for these, and automation to upsell or shut off a service on demand. That sounds interesting. Here's where I want you to go. The Porsche Connect is a perfect example, Amy says, of a complex service model to enable Google Maps for their older models. Amy, a lot to unpack. It's all yours. Go ahead. Well, that's a perfect transition from our prior topic because now we're talking about technology. Well, in the past, you would produce the car and send it out. Now with the EVs, we have embedded software and you have to be able to do the release update on that software, keep it current with the um, operating requirements um, with the other products it works with like Google. And so Porsche is actually having a challenge right now with the older products that they're no longer able to provide a Google map. And so the newer EV car will be fine, but they're going to have this, uh, the contingent of the older models that they're just not even bothering to try to fix at this point. So it's, it's interesting of how companies who are working with this software are thinking, how do I manage my warranties? How do I manage my, my services? How do I manage the, the communication with the owner and trying to make it as most effective as possible? And Tesla, for example, has an app on your phone and you can basically drive your car standing 20 feet away. I had a Tesla for five years and it used to freak people out because I would be outside of my car and I could see someone was too close to it. So I'd fire it up and I'd back it into them. <laughs> 
we just have to let that one sit there for a second. I wish our listeners could see could see the expression on Amy Dale's face. Amy, I have to tell you that when I moved to Durham, North Carolina in 2017, I had a sports car I'd bought in New York, and the car was a 2015. The neighborhood to which I moved, where I live now, was fairly new. The maps on the GPS that came with the car did not reflect this. So I couldn't put in, take me home. I couldn't put, I had to find in the shopping center two miles away an endpoint. It was a, a Starbucks or it was one of the restaurants to get me to if I wanted to know how much time home. They wanted hundreds of dollars to update the GPS map system. Guess what? I used my phone oh. on on a little prop on the on the yeah. dashboard or next to me or on the console, and I used the phone GPS. I wasn't going to do that, right? Right. There, there you go. So that's very, very interesting. Tom, comments back on what Amy just shared? Yeah, back to both of you. I mean, at this point, um, you know, wired versus wireless has always been there. And you, you talk about, you know, some of those map updates. You know, I, I, I saw map updates in the early 2000s at $1,500, $1,700 that needed to be done, you know, a couple times, uh, you know, in the life of a vehicle. Uh, now, you know, you can basically uh, download, put it on a thumb drive, walk out and plug it into the car uh, if you want to do wired. Um, but OTA uh, over the air has become the new, uh, the new word, the new technology. And, and not only uh, that, but I was also sitting on, a, on a, uh, an OEM's town hall yesterday, and they basically told all the suppliers, I, again, it was the OSA uh, program, they told all the suppliers that they needed to basically not only understand what their technology did and the software in their box, but how the impacting software affected other things around it. It had to basically have OTA capability, fully engaged, fully upgradable, and fully executable by the time that both of these two new vehicles are coming off the line. So OTA is there. It's, it's something that's going to be, it's going to be the, you know, the, I think one of the other uh, interesting facts is uh, we ODM uh, talked to us at the beginning of the year where he talked about, uh, you know, capacity of vehicles being, you know, basically introduced to the road at a 40% or 50% capacity. And then over the lifetime of the vehicle, having those updates come across to come to hundred percent capacity. So that is the new model. You know, uh, you know, I, I argue, and we had uh, you know Patrick on the on the call uh, a couple couple times back, and he continues to jab me about uh, it's not a it's not a car, it's not a machine with wheels now, it's it's a computer with wheels, and and so we get back to that, you know, and we've all talked about you know everybody wanting a new cell phone and a new you know new smartphone to to go through it. Now people are looking at that technology in the vehicle, and they're wanting to not only understand it, but they also you know the OEMs want to understand what it's going to cost, what it's going to what they can sell it for. You know, it's a service-based approach. And, and as we start to talk about some of these other topics, you're going to start to see that commoditization uh, as well as keeping up with the Joneses. Well, I have to tell you, I was doing an OTA in my newer car. Tom knows the backstory. I'll tell you later, Amy. And I read the instructions and it said, you have to be in a, on a sunny day on a flat road with no trees nearby. Okay. I, I, I kid you not. And it's a high end car you have in order to get the update. Well, I think I did it in my garage in five minutes and there was no sunshine. I have moonroof in my garage and it worked just fine. But I thought, what? Seriously? Anyway, very, very interesting. Tom, thank you for that. I want to go to Tom's second statement here. Let's see how much more we can do. Tom says speed to market is the first priority for automotive platform makers, but they can, can they sustain? Ah, 
big question, the speed and innovation. Tom, briefly, and then let's see what Amy Dale has to say. Tom? So as you start to look at these platform manufacturers and how they're actually, you know, delaying and delaying, delaying their release of their production units, some of that's technology, some of that's uh, just the advancements, and some of that is in anticipation of what is coming for them, you know, the disruption that's out there. You know, are they uh, being affected by the chips? Are they being affected by rubber? Are they be affected by steel or aluminum shortages? But once they get to that point, once they've got that first unit off the line, let it be six months, nine months, 12 months, can they continue to run the factory in a factory metal? You know, you, you go back to some of the uh, pieces, you know, Henry Ford and, and others where, you know, the production line was the, the way to roll these vehicles off. And that's going to be what's going to be asked for. I think that is one piece of it. The second piece of it is, is that continuing innovation process. Going back to the statement of the OEM about 40% or 50% capacity upon release. You know, can they keep up? Can they basically continue to incite and enthuse uh, the drivers or the, even the passengers, depending upon what type of vehicle we're talking about? And, and that is really going to be the next step. You know, do you buy the first one and you get rid of it? Or do you buy the first one and you buy the second one and you buy the third one? A lot of this is going to be customer preference, the customer experience. And, and are the manufacturers, you know, the platform manufacturers moving from being a platform manufacturer to being an OEM, uh, you know, light passenger. Okay. Thank you, Amy. Thoughts on what Tom just shared? Well, one, it's uh, Tom, I think you're spot on with some of the challenges that they're facing. And when I look at the sustainability or their ability to grow fast, it's also the charging stations that are available, uh, the distance that the vehicle can go. And so having something that you can mass produce, but it only goes 50 miles is probably less desirable than something that can go 300 miles. So I think there's this, how do we uh, overcome the charging um, challenges with the cable, right? So to get the power into the car, it's um, actually imp uh, impacted because the, the heat of the uh, transition from that power into the car makes the cable too hot. So if you fix the cable, you can charge the car faster. If you can charge the car faster, you're not having to spend 20 minutes at the truck stop. So I think there are other areas of technology that have to evolve along with the manufacturers as they grow and have scalability. They also are depending on the industry that supports them to have innovation as well. Amy, thank you. Uh, very, very interesting. We had an attorney, Tom, I don't know if you know, a real estate attorney here on Automotive Insiders a couple months ago. And I said to Drew Rhodes, who was our showrunner, I said, why a real estate attorney? She specializes in where do the charging stations go? Do they comply with ADA rulings, American Disabilities Act? Do they go into the parking lot of a Walmart, a Kmart, a Staples, whatever? Uh, who gets to access them? Uh, do you, are you supposed to go shopping in the store? How long does it take? Uh, what is it going to cost? Uh, what do you do with your car in the meantime? Um, how much time do you expect? Who owns that real estate? The store whose parking lot? Is it privately owned? There is a whole law segment popping up just to cover this. Amy, really good points. Tom, anything you want to say back before I move on? Yeah, infrastructure is definitely a, another topic. You know, we could we could talk another 30 to an hour on infrastructure and impacts of, of EVs on the infrastructure and what it's going to take. 
You know, there was a, a study that came out for the fourth quarter for OASA, and they started talking about the number of vehicles just replacing, you know, in the U.S. what it would take to charge those vehicles. And, and the grid possibilities, we're not there. So ultimately, as we start to go through it, the, the new bill from the administration will have some impacts to it. The, the platform manufacturers, the infrastructures that are going to provide the, the grid, all are going to be integral pieces to each other in a, in a symbi symbiotic uh, environment that's going to have to basically, uh, you know, give and take on, on all sides. Thank you very much. Amy, I'm looking at your next topic. Let's see. We have time to cover this. You say the automotive industry's raw materials will change with the shift to EVs. I'm going to stop there. I don't want to read it. I want you to talk about it. And give us your example about the numbers in the Forbes article. Amy? All right. Thank you, Bonnie. So with the EV, you have uh, obviously the molybdenum, lithium for the batteries. There's steel, is, is a key element that is required for both the car and the infrastructure. And so with the 1.2 trillion infrastructure bill means that we're gonna be uh, needing more metals in, mine, in the mining to support building out the infrastructure. And what's interesting is I'm working with a steel company right now and with the supply chain issues across the globe with the pandemic and the impact um, with the, um, at the harbor and the, I'm trying to get the, the ships unloaded, they're having to rely on their customers because they have high grade steel for cars and then they also have steel that goes into the manufacturing for the, the um, infrastructure for the roads. And so they're literally shutting down one of their manufacturing sites because it doesn't make the high grade steel. And they're literally reassigning uh, and firing up a location that specifically does the high grade steel. And it's this communication to say, where are you at in your supply chain? Yes, we're good. You can make something else or no. So they're giving the automotive industry the priority. Everybody's focused on that. Thank you. It's all about priorities, isn't it? Tom, thoughts about what Amy just shared? I, I think it's a it's a it's fantastic uh, conversation. I, I I set through um, another structure, another podcast uh, uh, seminar this week about EV and about where things are sitting and what it's going to take and and the metal content and what goes into the batteries. And interesting enough, this particular company I won't mention the names uh, for advertising sake, but ultimately they've now found the ability to find these nodes uh, on the ocean bottom. So they're now basically coming up with what is called uh, deep sea mining. And in all intents and purposes, it's DC vacuuming because they're going to run across the, uh, the structure of the, of the ocean and pick these nodules up. And they're finding that these nodules, which are volcanic in, in nature, based upon when the, the plates move and things popping up, et cetera, um, the nodules themselves contain almost 200% more uh, metals in them that we need to basically go do this than we can if we actually do strip mining. So as you start to think about this, now we have to worry about mining at uh, three and a half, four miles down and what that's going to mean. And in most cases, it's going to be an, an, an atomic or AV type of uh, execution model. But it's definitely something that's there. The other piece of the infrastructure bill that's really going to be hitting our industry quite heavily is what's going to happen with chips, where the chips have to be manufactured, and what now is considered a defense and, and uh, you know, federal requirement statutes of building in U.S. and using U.S. products versus using foreign products and using the and getting out of the, the, the requirements or the dependencies of foreign based models and, and, and units. So there are a lot of changes coming. 
It's going to be a ripple effect. Indeed, there are. I want to squeeze in one more topic. Amy, you have some wonderful information here. I'm looking at your topic number three. You say one of the lessons learned from data and analytics used in the racing industry is to normalize your data, make it easier to understand, take a road track, turn it into a circle. Best practice shared from the McLaren team. As soon as I read McLaren, I said, we have to use this on the show. Amy, give us the rundown or race us around this track. Data, data, data. Go ahead. Well, thank you, Ani. So when you ever need inspiration or an understanding of why data and analytics are important, just go to the racing teams. I've had an opportunity to be with the McLaren Group in London, and they showed us how they're, they were bringing together information, and they would show a, a road track, which was basically a squiggly line of a track that would go out for miles. And it was really hard to tell who was in the lead, what should you do? And all of a sudden, they hit a button, and it put it into a circle. And all of a sudden, you could easily tell who was in the lead, what the distance was from them. And so sometimes it's changing the visualization of your information to make it easier to work. Now, another story I want to share about racing is with the CODA, the Circuit of the Americas, and that the data is as good as the people who use the data. If you have information and unable to make a decision and take a next step, you'll have an impact of either something good or something bad. And so if you've been to the CODA racetrack, you know it's very large. It's a couple miles uh, out there to the outer side of the field. And this was a six-hour Le Mans at night, right? So imagine Ferrari, Audi with their, their um, Le Mans cars with their headlights on driving at night. But you know in Texas in the afternoon, those late um, days, you have to worry about the storms. And so the Audi team had all the same data as everyone else. They could see the weather, they could see the, the images coming in, but they also sent their guys to the far end of the track, out into the field, and they radioed back, the storm is coming, pull our guys in, put on the rain tires. And so they did, and they were the only team that put on rain tires. And when that rain hit, you could have heard every gasp as the cars went into that corner, each one went off into the gravel. The Ferrari went off into the gravel, except for the Audi. The two Audis went around the curve, and they took first and second place. So being able to make a decision and take action is really important. Sometimes I think people just look at the data and forget that they need to take an action. Need to do something with it, right? It's just numbers. It's just letters sitting inspiration there. Inspiration to the rest of their organization. And that's why we talk in business on my business radio shows about actionable insights, right? Don't just look at it. Don't just say, oh, look at what we've got. Look at the zettabytes and the petabytes and the terabytes. Do something with it and try to be intelligent about it. Tom, any quick comments back on Amy's wonderful story? Proactive uh, data usage uh, that's uh, basically able to be... Uh, Exception-based execution uh, versus, you know, you know, reactive is definitely part of it. And, and so you start to think about, you know, the data that's in the car, the data that's coming off the car, uh, the data that's going in regards to the integration into the infrastructure, let it be the stop signs, the roads, et cetera. All those things are going to have to basically be used, synthesized, and actionable uh, when we start talking about uh, more and more uh, autonomous execution. So yes, data is, you know, I, I 
it's kind of trivial to say data is the king, but at this point in time, it's definitely the Lord uh, ship of the, uh, of the, of the universe being as you, if you use it correctly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank you very much. And we all know there's a whole other spinoff topic on who owns the data once oh, yeah. it gets in the car, privacy, security, trust. Oh my, oh my, oh my, we are out of time. Uh, Amy Dale, you are a dynamo. You are just, you bring such great stories and such great energy. And I always ask my guests, what's your passion for the topic? You are exuding passion, Amy Dale at Infosys. So pleased to meet you. Thank you so much for your time. Tom Madonna, you're always a wonderful guest. Great back and forth. I want to do a shout out to Drew Rhodes at OESA and to our engineer, Aaron Keller at Voice America. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Happy holidays to everyone. Wave goodbye. Bye-bye from OESA Automotive Insiders. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.